design fans, welcome to the Global Revolution. As always, we have the coolest guys around, because we bring to you all the rest of which may be falling under your radar. This week, we got a double shot of that promotion that we love so very much, Chikara. We're looking at Fright Night from April 27th, and then Infinite Gauntlet from May 11th. A couple of very recent events. Uh, a lot of big things happening in Chikara. Going to talk about both of those shows and maybe some additional stuff as well. We're going to bring it all to you. And I do say we, because I would not, could not, should not do this by myself. I'm joined by a lovely, wonderful man. He's my friend. He should be yours. He is called Jeff. Jeff, say hello. Hello, everybody out there in podcast and internet land. Jeff here, Ms. Fan there. I just got back from a three-day vacation at Disney World, and I wouldn't uh, had an enjoyable time. But at the moment I got home, I made sure to catch up on all of my Chikara action. Uh, watch these two shows, and who oh boy, um, not only are these shows pretty good, and we'll talk about them, but uh, there's some uh, extracurricular stuff going on with Jakara that I've heard about, so uh, we're going to get into all of that fun, fun, uh, the wacky world of Chikara here on The Global Revolution, and I, for one, am super pumped, because... Seems like Chikara is getting back into the uh, getting back into the swing of things, you know, the way we kind of love our Chikara, and who boy is going to be fun to talk about. And we're here to do just that on the Global Revolution. Absolutely. So we're going to go right through these two shows, and then yeah, talk about maybe a little bit of extra stuff you might be alluding to there. Uh, first of all, though, we have Fright Night kicking off the show with a trios match: Aphidian, Green Ant, and Thief Ant taking on Volgar and Crumbles and Defarge. And uh, I gotta say. I really enjoyed this one. I think uh, very impressed by the growing skills of Volgar. I think uh, Sonny Defarge has really turned into a great performer. Uh, big fan of the Technico team here as well. A lot of good stuff in this one. Yes, indeed. There's some fun antics from uh, Professor Nicodemus as well, who did not mm-hmm. know which one was Crumbles and which one was Defarge, and asked very loudly <laughs> as uh, Mr. Crumbles was getting beaten up who that was. He was told he was uh, Mr. Crumbles. Someone in the audience, I believe, said his friends call him Cornelius, which also got a big uh, big pop. So uh, these two shows actually really good on a fan interaction overall. I very much enjoyed that aspect of both Fright Night and the Infinite Gauntlet. So this this opening match was also very good in and of itself. Volgar, I think, is definitely, as you said, growing into his role, getting a little bit better and better every time we see him. Um, Sonny Defarge, just an absolute masterclass of a performer as well. Cornelius Crumbles, also a lot of fun. Uh, Technico side, very good here. Uh, Green Ant, as usual, very good. Ophidian kicking, kicking a lot of buttons. I think uh, you could say about Volgar, Volgar, I think I've been able to say, at least with these two shows, with uh, Thief Ant as well. He's not my favorite. Ant never has been, but I, I think I'm seeing him uh, get a little bit more comfortable with what he's doing, get a little bit better in the ring in each <laughs> of these shows. So, yeah, good opener overall. Yeah, absolutely. A great opener, honestly, in a lot of ways. Uh, really, really impressed with uh, what's going on here. We follow up second match in the card. We have Blank, that that wacky man Blank, taking on Shazza McKenzie. She's hardcore, coming out of Australia. Seen her a few times before. Uh, it's a fun match. I, uh, I really always enjoy seeing Blank now. I, I really can't stress enough how enjoyable I find Blank. And uh, Shazza McKenzie, I think she does pretty well as well. Yes, indeed. This was good uh, interplay between these two here. Uh, Blank has just become genuinely one of the best performers in Chikara, especially at you know knowing what his role is, knowing the character he wants to portray. Um, he's just he's he's such a treat to watch, and I know we've said that multiple times now, but he, the fact cannot be overstated. I think about how good um, the former Race Jackson has become as Blank. Just just honestly a must watch. 
every time. So this was good. Uh, Shazam McKenzie, I think, was a nice foil here for uh, for Blank a little bit more on the the straight woman side, as it were. But but did a good job. This was a good match. Had a blast with it. And once again, Blank is just so so impressive. So much fun every time he performs. Absolutely is. Uh, he does get the victory here. Or no, actually, he loses, but he knocks Shazam McKenzie out after the match. Takes a picture of her. His weird uh, picture-taking obsession continues, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we'll see what comes of that in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we follow this up with uh, one of the tag teams, two tag teams, actually, that I'm very excited about. On the one side, we've got Murloc and Oceania, who've been consistently uh, really great since they've been together, in my opinion. And the uh, pretty, pretty newly minted team of Lucas Calhoun and Stray Cat, or Alley Cat, if you prefer. I don't know mm-hmm. why she's a stray here and an alley uh, elsewhere. But, supposedly, uh, uh, she and uh, Lucas have become very good friends, not just you know tag team partners, but uh, best friends, according to commentary. And apparently, the Stray Cat thing is supposed to be, I guess, her uh, her rockabilly uh, moniker instead uh, of Alley Cat. It's Stray Cat. I so. do not know why a stray is more rockabilly than an alley, but I, I guess I don't. Really know what makes a rockabilly anything, so uh, I really dig the <laughs> not, combo. It's not a world I know about. So. <laughs> nope, nope. Don't know anything. Doubly confused for the fact that Lucas Calhoun is like constantly going to goth clubs or something and posting about it on Twitter, which I also don't really understand that. But that's cool. Whatever you're into, that's that's yeah, fine Calhoun, with me. Great person. So you know what? It's, it's fine. <laughs> he seems to be a really spectacular person. I'm really glad he's been around more, uh, and I hope that continues. Indefinitely. Um, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is quite a fun one, I would say. Uh, in the end, Hermit Crab tries to help out uh, his uh, mistress, Oceania, but he screws up, and uh, Stray Cat pins Oceania herself. So, uh, so yeah, things maybe not looking great for Hermit Crab. Looking forward here. Seems like uh, they've been on the line before and uh, maybe aren't delivering. So Hermit Crab in particular may be looking at some trouble. <laughs> Oh yeah, this was uh, overall. This was a good match. I thought a really good uh, interplay between all four people here. Um, Lucas Calhoun is great. Murloc is great. Oceania is a lot of fun. Uh, Alley Cat, I think, is fitting right in with Chikara. Kind of a weird role for her as uh, Lucas Calhoun's partner, but she's making the most of it. And I think she's got a great look. She's a good wrestler. She's a lot of fun. So yeah, four really solid wrestlers. And oh boy, Hermit Crab. One of these days, you're just gonna get a. Oceania is probably going to literally rip your head off. So uh, best of luck to you. Best of luck into not uh, screwing this up for the rest of your potentially short career if Oceania gets her hands on you. So, yeah, good luck with that. Very, very true. Um, Next we do welcome back to Chikara, someone who uh, I didn't maybe really expect to see again, but uh, I'm actually rather pleased to see him. Uh, Jakob Hammermeyer returning to the company uh, complete with the old BDK music and everything, so uh, pick it up right where he left off, it seems. And wrestling the Patriot, yes, that Patriot, um, or maybe another one, but still a long-standing um, holder of the Patriot gimmick. Um, who would have ever expected such a match as this? Is Jakob Hammermeyer versus the actual Patriot? Um, but I, I, I actually sorry. posted on Twitter. I was like, are you kidding me? Is this match actually happening? One of my friends was like, yep, yes, it is. Like, I, <laughs> I cannot believe this got booked in 2019. But here we are. 
The Jakob Hammermeyer versus the Patriot. It's very popular Dang. now to book uh, random 90s people uh, in these matches now. But random 90s people versus, like, obscure yeah. indie dudes as well. This is yes. not a lot of things going on in this match. <laughs> it's a weird but sort of pleasing trend. Uh, so I am very pleased to see Jakob. Um, he is now with Daryl Wildebeest, who uh, is a really huge guy. Um, in the vein, I guess, of Nakin or Tursus or someone like that, um, who uh, interferes liberally in this match and kind of uh, stops it really from going very far. But who should come out in red, white, and blue in full Lex Luger 1993 attire but John Francis of Coronado, who comes out waving the American flag, challenging uh, Jakob and Der Wilder, whatever, that guy. <laughs> Wildebeest, Wildebeest, I don't know, something like that. Um, uh, basically challenges them to make it a tag team match, and that, that's exactly what they do. And uh, the first thing I want to say is Juan Francisco de Coronado, the former Juan Francisco, now John Francis, um, does a really good job at as, as actually wrestling as a face in this match. He's got a couple of more uh, high-octane, like high-flying moves, a couple of dives to the outside, which was uh, very weird to see. He, like scales the top rope at one point, does like a somersault senton to the outside on Deville Beast. Um, eventually crawls back in and hits a flying crossbody, springboard crossbody on um, on Jakob Hammermeyer, which you know took me by surprise, took Mike Quackenbush on commentary by surprise. He was uh, flying around with Juan in this match, or John in this match. Um, just very kind of cool to see that sort of dynamic flipped on its head for, uh, the, uh, patriotic, uh, John Francis. Um, the Patriot was looking good. Uh, Jakob Hammermeyer looks as good as Jakob Hammermeyer ever has, which is, uh, good or bad, depending on how you, uh, view Jakob, I guess. I know you weren't always his, uh, biggest fan when it came to in-ring stuff, but he does, he does have a lot of charisma, I think. He is very fun to actually watch and engage with. He has a, has a very good role and. The Wilderbeast is a huge man, does not wear shoes, and he crossbodies people very nastily. It's great. It's fantastic. I already very much impressed by his look. I think he's got a great mask. The Wilderbeast does. Um, yeah, this was a, this was a. There was a lot going on in this match. There was a considerable amount of weird things happening in this match, all things considered. And I had a great time with it. I don't know quite how the match quality was overall, but I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I had a very good time with it. Um, yeah, I'll just say, um, one, as a babyface, I still really want this to be a trick or something in the end. But yes, I, I, him, him wrestling as a babyface was actually uh, awesome. Uh, he was looking great here, for sure. Tremendous. Um, uh, and I feel like... I, I I really feel like it's it's a trick. I'm just <laughs> just just the sense I'm getting from. Uh, I guess we'll talk about this after the match. I want to get your thoughts on it, but I'm getting the, I'm getting the feeling it's a trick. I'm getting the feeling. I uh, yeah I I got that vibe too. But uh, we uh, also yeah Jakob coming back. I think as a manager slash partner for uh, this big guy is definitely the best thing for him. Uh, it allows him to do everything he's good at and maybe less. Of uh, yeah, as a singles guy, you know he he, he does what he does, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he does get pinned here by Juan, um, which I, I can't remember if you mentioned or not. So we do get the victory for John Francis. So uh, so yeah, he said Patriot after John the match Francis. As well. Yes, uh, after the match, uh, John is very uh, 
enthusiastic about waving around his uh, American flag. He came out in American flag tights and you know boots and knee pads, and he was carrying a, an American flag as opposed to his traditional Ecuadorian flag. And he waved this flag for a very, very long time, basically running up to every corner and swinging it around wildly to the point where the Patriot was kind of, you know, the Patriot, the guy who was advertised for this match, would probably be the bigger draw for this match. Actually, ended up like sitting in the crowd and just watching uh, Juan instead, basically, and just com- com- the combination of that, uh, John Francis's. Um, enthusiasm for this thing and how long it went on i at at this point i'm very much cautious about all this like yeah i think this is some sort of trick i think this is a very elaborate ruse it's gonna win everybody over and then reveal somehow some way at some point further down the line this was all a deception deceived us all i'm just i this really gave me like i don't know it, it felt very his wrestling did not, but a lot of his uh, mannerisms after the match very much felt like he was – he's putting on a show for all of us, I think. That's that's what I'm leaning with right now. It just, it just feels that way. just feels that way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, a little too uh, on the nose maybe or something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, um, we'll see what happens with that in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, following this up, we get a defense of the Young Lions Cup. Still live with apricots and pears, so I'm going to try very hard to gender correctly. I'm sorry, I'm still getting used to this. Um, it's not something I've actually had to do before, uh, but uh, yeah, they, they defended their title here against uh, Brayden Lee, who was, what, what was his, like, no no carbs Brayden Lee or something. It was more Something like that. that. Yeah, but... Uh, something than that, apparently. Uh, Brayden Lee. There it is. I knew it right. There we go. Um, so yeah, I guess it's going to be because he doesn't need carbs, and also... He's actually quite good, I thought. I thought he looked very good in this. Uh, and I'm really loving the psychology of still life matches because they always go after the leg in a big way, and they do it in a way that makes a lot of sense because they work a leg submission as their finish. And uh, I don't know, it just it holds together really well. You don't surprisingly see a lot of guys doing that kind of thing anymore. It's very much not about like the moves or it doesn't feel that way it's about like having a strategy and that alone actually is making me a huge fan of still life even more so than i was already so so yeah there's a lot of good stuff in this i like this a lot i think part of the reason i also really love uh, still life's uh offensive repertoire and their game plans in these matches is they use a lot of they're not like completely like bizarre holds but they use a lot of kind of slightly funky slightly weird um leg submissions and leg holds like it's not always the same things you see every time like in this match in particular they utilized an outside toe hold it almost looks almost like a hammerlock applied to the leg instead of the arm Mm. and that's just not something you see a whole lot of and that's basically their entire offense when it comes to these holds is a lot of a lot of the things they do are just they're like slightly off. You haven't really seen them before. If you have, it's only been like by one person in a handful of matches. So you're constantly caught off guard by what still life does, despite the fact that, you know, they're going to come in there, work over the legs to set up for the Venus de Milo uh, leg hold. Like, you know, that's what's going to happen. You know, that's what their focus is. And yet they still find a way to kind of surprise you with what they're actually doing in the match, the holds they're utilizing. It's uh, it's very 
much like I guess the general uh, presentation of still life with apricots and pears, it's very off-putting and it's it's it, it works so well. Still life with apricots and pears at this point, really one of my actual heroes. So uh, I'm I'm very impressed by the things they're doing. I'm very much in love with their wrestling. Really been enjoying them as. Uh, Young Lions Cup champion, and hopefully the quality and the rain will continue because they're doing a really good job right now. Mm, yeah, great job. It's my favorite Young Lions Cup series of matches really in quite a while, I would say. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, keep keep an eye out for that. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot about this next thing until I saw it on my notes right now. Okay, so this, uh, this hasn't really bothered me so much up to this point, and I don't know why, it's because I just like the people involved, or maybe it just hasn't been this obnoxious, but okay, we have Princess Kimberly and the Whisper, who are Campionados de Piraeus, they're defending here against Fist, and... I, I, will, I will quickly say, if I think I understand what your what your issue is, I'm glad I'm not alone in having that issue with, with <laughs> okay, this match in particular. You probably do, and maybe it is just this match in particular, because I thought they walked the line better in previous matches, but here... I don't know. It just really bubbled up for me. I'm like, okay, Kimberly, if you don't want to be tag team champions, the whisper, then just leave, <laughs> like leave the apron, go to the back. Don't just stand here with this bad attitude. And then you're going to like wrestle match yourself. Even Quackenbush on commentary was like, I don't really understand why Kimberly is not just leaving the whisper. If she seems to hate this, she seems to hate everything about this partnership and she doesn't want to be involved there's no reason for her to stay. Uh, I don't know. I got very frustrated, very irritated, even with the good wrestling in this match. It it, 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 it was really ruined for me, honestly. It, it highlighted everything that made no sense in this reign. Kimberly wouldn't work with the Whisper, but then she would come in and, like, try to win the match, but then she would, like, not tag out, and then she would jump down off the apron, and then she would go back on. And I'm like, just commit, like, to something. Just... I was just very irritated with the way this went down. I thought it made no sense. Um, the motivations of, of of Kimberly and of Whisper, honestly, were very hard to follow and confusing. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Nothing about this worked. Four really great wrestlers trying hard to do some good stuff physically, but, but the story was really, really bad. So I'm sorry. I love Chikara. I would very rarely say that, but, you know, when it happens, it happens. You know, I'm going to call it out. Indeed. Um, and really unfortunate because uh, Fist ends up picking up the victory here, becoming your new uh, your new tag champs, your new campeones de parejas. Mm. And it felt like it, it was not the moment it should have been. Uh, the end of this match sees uh, Princess Kimberly. Um, she finally gets tagged in. She... Uh, she tags herself in, if I recall, and she's fighting uh, Travis Huckabee um, and eventually goes for a back spin kick. And when Travis ducks, she ends up knocking out the Whisper, knocks him down off the apron, knocks him to the ground. Because of this, um, she immediately sees this, goes to grapple uh, Travis and puts herself essentially into a pinning predicament, allowing herself to be pinned for the three fall and give Fist the titles immediately uh, she vacates the ring and walks to the back and everyone seems kind of confused about what just happened. How did they win this? Even Travis himself seemed very uh, perturbed and un- non-understanding of what just went down. Um, so 
on one hand, it's like, you know, that that's an understandable way to have this kind of go down, or at least it would be more understandable if they like picked something to actually kind of cling to for this storyline. Cause it seems like they've been kind of all over the place, especially in the matches. Oh, they, they don't, they don't like each other. Kimberly doesn't want to work with them, but the whisper does. But, you know, Kimberly doesn't really want to, but Kimberly will also just start wrestling people just because I guess she's a she's a fighter, but she's not always a fighter. And it's it's very weird and confusing. So I don't know. It came kind of out of left field. and It feels like it takes the sales out of fist a little bit because Travis Huckabee and Tony mm. Deppin have really become two of Chikara's most solid workers and in, in basically any match scenario, singles match, tag match, trios match, Tomiko's match you know, multi-person, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, if you have Travis Huckabee and Tony Deppin in there, you know the match is going to be, you know, pretty god, gosh darn decent, you know, at a minimum. And as a tag team, I think they were coming up really strong together. Travis Huckabee has been, you know, on fire since at least last season, if not before that. Uh, Tony Deppin has really turned it on over the last uh, several shows, basically has become a bit of a sensation since uh, since spring break and, you know, WrestleMania weekend. Um, and for them to pick up the titles in this way just feels like incredibly underwhelming and incredibly uh, doing them a disservice, basically. And it's it's not it's just not great. So there could have been a better way to go about this, maybe have them pick up a more dominant victory, maybe let that be the first fall and let, you know, them actually do something despicable or do something powerful or something to actually win the titles properly. I don't know. It's just, it wasn't my favorite thing. And it feels like just, just a bit of a, uh, kind of a waste almost for, for fist to win the titles in this manner. Mm, mm. Yeah. And, uh, that goes back to what I said about other teams and especially now for fist, it should not be difficult for a team this good to beat a team of people who are not working together, who, are have no chemistry and are just like failing at every aspect of tag team wrestling. It it should it should take about two minutes for Fist to take this team apart. Um, so yeah, uh, we really like to see Kimberly either just leave um, immediately and let the Whisper just get his ass kicked for two falls, which should take about two minutes. Or they do try to work together, but because Kimberly is doing such a bad job that it still just takes two minutes. So this should have just taken two minutes is basically what I'm saying. So there's no no reason really that it would go down the way it does. It doesn't really help anybody. Um, but whatever. We got Fist as our new uh, campeones, and that that is really good. That is wonderful news because Fist, this Fist, is a wonderful team, and I think uh, they're going to have a wonderful reign. This, this, mm-hmm. I'm very excited about these campeones. You know, I, I will probably forever be down on this match and some aspects of this storyline. But, uh, yeah, putting the titles on fist is, uh, if anything overdue, I'm very, very pleased that, uh, we got the outcome we did. At least, at least on paper, this is a very smart decision. And I'm very excited to see what, uh, Deppin and Huckabee do with these titles. Cause they, sh- they should have at the very least a much better reign than, uh, whisper and Kimberly did. And should, in general, have, I just think, a really solid reign. They've got a lot of um, momentum. They've got a lot of uh, skill and ability and should be a great pairing for literally anybody else except for this team in this matchup. So very excited. Very excited for the future for Fist. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, move on to this to another title match. This one uh, I am unequivocally 
excited about. And uh, I gotta say, I feel like my excitement was completely justified. It is Missile <laughs> Assault Man challenging Dasher Hatfield for that Chikara Grand Championship. This match was rough and tumble in the best way. It had Dasher trying to dismember the arm of Missile Assault Man. Uh, it had Dasher abusing his son, Boomer Hatfield, throwing him around, bossing him around, telling him what to do, telling him to get a table. Boomer wouldn't do it, and he threw him across the floor. Um, oh, just so much great stuff in this match. So physical. Um, Dasher locked up in the sharpshooter towards the end. Um, and instead of tapping out himself, he grabs Bryce Remsburg's hand and, like, slaps it on the mat. So the Missile Assault Man hears somebody tapping out, lets go of the hold, and then, bang, ends up getting knocked out. Dasher puts him in a, a camel clutch kind of thing, continuing his trend of winning every single uh, Grand Championship defense in a different way. And, uh, yeah, just so many good things going on in this. I, I was very pleased with everything that went down here. This this is a match of the year contender for me. So great on Dasher. So great on Missile. There's usually someone in Jakara, and it's often the champion, who just hits this streak of having wonderful matches, and I think Dasher is really hitting that streak right now. I want you to... I... I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't know if you picked up on this. You may have, knowing knowing you. I think you're you're a smart lad. You probably uh, noticed <laughs> this. But um, did 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 you happen to think this this title defense in particular had any uh had any parallels to any other previous champions' uh, match stylings at all? Did you did you happen to to think uh, maybe specifically that um, when all was said and done, this Dasher Hatfield match? Very much resembled a a a Juan Francisco de Coronado title <laughs> uh, match. Did I you happen you, to? Uh... I knew you would say that. You know, it didn't occur to me, in fact. Um, but uh, I can see where you're coming from. I don't know. Uh, they have been very, uh, we'll say, important to each other over the last uh, couple years. So it could definitely be uh, exactly what you're talking about. So. So yeah, you know, maybe Dasher just uh, learned from the best. Maybe that's what it was. That's that's it's very possible. Uh, the match was in and of itself incredibly good. Uh, Missile Assault Man, I think, is a great foil for a lot of champions. Just this straight laced, hard nosed, uh, punch you in the mouth sort of person. Uh, in this match, even he like complains about uh, Dasher locking up. It says, "Are we gonna fight? You gonna fight me finally?" Um, which even Quackenbush was very surprised about, since he doesn't say much beyond uh, his own name. Um, but as the match continued, you saw, you know, the psychology of Dasher Hatfield, who at one point uh, got insulted by a fan in the audience, and Missile Assault Man went out and up, uh, high-fived that fan, which was, uh, just great. I wish I could remember what the actual insult was, but it was a great moment. Oh, I think it was, it, if you're such a good champion, you wouldn't need to use the ropes uh, in reference to him escaping a particular hold, and everybody in the audience ooed this. It was great. Uh, Mrs. Allman went out and high-fived that fan, and uh, <laughs> Dasher Hatfield was very insulted. It was very good. But um, Dasher, you know, doing a lot of work on the arm. Dasher um, just just really, like, leaning into a lot of the heelish, rudoish tactics um, that e even beforehand we've never really seen him do. He doesn't really run a whole lot, but he did in this match. He doesn't really... Um, take a lot of shortcuts. He's usually very overpowering, very mean-spirited, um, but not really a a shortcut taker from what we've seen. Just very, just very, just just not nice. And he was doing a lot of that, you know, underhanded tactics in this particular match to 
get away from a missile assault man. And none, like the two things that really exemplified this was uh, a him running into uh, Bryce Rimsburg in the corner, forearm up to potentially take him out. And then as uh, he and Missile Saw Man were taken out, going for that uh, the table, calling out uh, Boomer to go help him set it up. Boomer eventually would not do it, and throwing Boomer across the floor, which was just simultaneously awesome and awful. It was great, just a just a <laughs> fantastic sort of storytelling moment there. I loved. But the other thing was, yeah, once again, he grabs Bryce Rimsburg's hand while in the sharpshooter. Dasher slams his hand on the ground to make the sound of a tap-out, forcing Missile Assault Man to break the hold, thinking he's won the match. So Bryce has to run up on him and be like, no, 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 I, I, I did not tap. I did not, or he did not tap. I was forced to do it. He grabbed my hand and made me tap out, which, you know, saved the match, basically, for Dasher, and eventually led to Dasher hitting a, uh, a gory bomb in the corner, followed by a dragon suplex, and then a full Nelson camel clutch, or the sugar hold, as um, um, Quackenbush called it, and forcing not a tap-out, but a pass-out victory for him, uh, defeating Missile Assault Man. And afterwards, when I kind of thought about the match and you know noticed and thought about those underhanded tactics the way he got himself to kind of, you know, distract the referee both for, you know, distract the referee with that, uh, the knockout blow and put him down for a little bit to try to set up something illegal, the way he used the referee to, you know, distract Missile Assault Man, the way he got a a pass-out submission victory. Just all of those things kind of coalesced together to make me kind of just sit there and think about, oh, okay, I think, uh, I think some of the thoughts that I had about, you know, a potential uh, John Francis versus Dasher Hatfield title match somewhere down the line, I think we're putting a little bit of that into this because I can very much see a lot of parallels between the way Dasher wrestled this match and the way Juan Francisco de Coronado has historically wrestled a lot of his uh, grand championship matches during his reign. So I very much see it. I think that's the road they're going on. It may not necessarily be super obvious right now um but i think i think they're planting seeds i think they're planting seeds you're meant to pick up on so oh yeah i'm i'm super excited i love this match this was a really good one as Ms. fan said an absolute match of the year contender uh just a phenomenal bout between two of chikara's best just just 100 go watch this match it was fantastic mm-hmm. great stuff all around um Poor Missile. I feel like he's lost every champion for a while now. Someday it'll be his turn. So, um, yeah, yeah, some great, great stuff here. Afterwards, um, mm-hmm. Dasher Hatfield uh, yells at Boomer a little bit more and tells him to stop being a disappointment and um, tells him to put the championship belt around the waist of his father. And nobody wants to see this actually happen. Nobody wants to engage in this. But uh, eventually, Boomer. Yeah, after looking like he might strike his father, he might you know hit him with the belt. Eventually, does indeed strap it around his father's waist. But just when you thought that was going to be the end of it, and this is to me, this right here is the genius, the genius of Dasher Hatfield in this entire character. Just as Boomer puts it on and walks away, and everybody is you know booed this entire thing, and you know is very much feeling for Boomer. Suddenly, Dasher turns around, and is like, "Hey, hey, wait a minute! What do you think you're doing?" This belt is loose. You can't even put a 
belt on Wright, walks out, grabs him by the scruff of his neck, calls him a disappointment, and forces him out into the uh, into the back. And everybody is just, ah, oh, this character is so awful. I hate Dasher Hatfield. I hate him. I, I, I want to see him get his butt kicked. I want to see somebody just punch him in the face and take that title off of him. I can't stand him. And yet I I love him. It's so oh, it is so I've I've loved this character since he kind of first debuted earlier this season and we got a real sense of who Dasher Hatfield was, but this in particular I think was one of the best kind of examples of uh what the current Dasher Hatfield character is all about. So this was Another thing to ramp up the hatred for him, but just a, a really good uh, post-match segment overall. Uh, yeah, absolutely so. Uh, like you, I love this Dasher character. I think it's highly effective. One of the best uh, Chikaraku characters in quite a while. Quite a despicable uh, baseball man he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do finally have our main event, which uh, is notable... Because uh, it includes a certain wrestler who's well-known, who may in fact be wrestling his final match. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, the lineup is El Hijo del Ice Cream, Calix the Castigator, Cajun Crydad, Rory Gulak, and a sort of mishmashed Rudo squad. On the other side, you got Fire Ant, Razor Ox, Solo Darling, and the man that I was referring to, The Hurricane, um, making, I want to say, I feel like he's been in Chikara, like maybe once before, but... Uh, uh, not seen too often. Um, the big story is, yeah, he's pretty much after the show going off to WWE to be uh, backstage uh, something or other. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but, um, yeah, it's a very fun mix of talent. Uh, like pretty much everyone in this match, not crazy about Rory Gulak, but uh, he does fine, I think. Um, yeah, just a, a lot of fun stuff in here. Uh, Fire Ant looked great. Razor Hulk looked great. Solo really good. Hurricane. Um, looks, looks definitely great for 46, uh, yeah. But Is he not, really 46 years old? 46 years the... old, yeah, I do believe, unless I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure, so, so yeah, doing quite well. Uh, Cajun Crydad really growing on me, Calix the Castigator, my favorite produce wheel guy, a lot of really good stuff in here. Yeah, I really want to say in particular, um, I, I really like the, the makeups of the teams. On the Technico side, you had, obviously, I think... Uh, three of Chikara's uh, best and most over Technicos in Fire Ant, Solo Darling, and uh, Razor Hawk. Three people who really seem to kind of bleed the company, you know. They're just very talented individuals. Uh, Fire Ant, who's been a longtime stalwart. Razor Hawk, who kind of burst on the scene, was already good and has gotten even better. Solo Darling, who has just become one of the absolute best women's talents, if not one of the best talents overall, just in terms of sheer growth and ability right now in this match, alongside, of course, the the Hurricane, uh, one of the most uh, well-known, fun talents over the last uh, several years of wrestling, both great as a face and a heel, utilizing the Hurricane character and other characters. Uh, Shane Helms, definitely, I think, an icon of sorts, in pro wrestling and should absolutely get uh, that sort of respect. And very cool to see him, you know, kind of go to Chikara for that potential last match. You know, that that's not something you really see super often, a, a, a talent of the caliber of uh, the Hurricane, especially the caliber and notoriety of the Hurricane, deciding to have their last match in Chikara. So that in and of itself was cool. And then on the heel side, uh, the Rudo side, it's very interesting to see, you know, you have El Hilo de Ice Cream, who may or may not be somebody else under the mask, who's a you know a long time Chikara 
uh, gimmick, you know, obviously kind of made for this sort of role. Rory Gulak, one of the trainers at the Wrestle Factory, obviously going to be here. And then you have Calix the Castigator and Cajun Crawdad, who on paper might seem very weird, but I'm very happy they were in this particular match just because Cajun Crawdad, I think, has really come up and has really been a risk taker over the last uh, several like months of shows, um, really separating themselves from the rest of the pack with, you know, their their risk taking ability, their their ability to try different things, to do different things, which we're going to see both in this match and their match on the uh, next show. So uh, Cajun Crawdad, I think a very uh, worthwhile addition here, and Calix the Castigator, as you said, probably uh, kind of like you, my favorite member of the Proteus Wheel, and really just an incredible talent in his own right. I think just just really super strong, super charismatic. Really good at wrestling, just really fun to watch. Uh, these two young dudes, you know, kind of being in there on the same level as all these other uh, participants, I think, is just a really good sign for them in their careers and a really good choice by Chikara for this, you know, this kind of match. Main event Atomico's match featuring the last match potentially of uh, Hurricane Shane Helms. Um, the fact that you had Calix, Castigator, and Cajun Crawdad in this match, I think, is just just. It's just a nice thing to kind of see and take note of to see where they kind of are theoretically on the uh, the, the totem pole for Jakar's. Just, just really appreciated seeing the two of them be able to get that kind of spotlight shown on them. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this whole match was cool, honestly. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Went on for good 20 minutes or so, which, uh, you know, it, it filled that time really well. You know, I was I was pleased with uh, how everyone pretty much got in there, did their thing. Hurricane pinning Rory Gulak in the end, and then uh, kind of getting a lot of respect from the roster, including some Rudos, who I thought maybe looked a little out of place uh, out there showing respect. But all that uh, to one side, yeah, I thought um, very nice. Then Hurricane got a chance to, to give a little speech and uh, kind of have a bit of an emotional send-off. I thought that was very cool. You know, certainly a guy who fits... Uh, with the spirit of Chikara, cool that he was able to come do this. If it is indeed his last match, I think he had a good one. Yes, indeed. Just a very fun time. Gets right off into the sunset with one last Eye of the Hurricane, one last choke slam, uh, one last audience performing in front of. Uh, really liked his story about how, you know, he's performing in front of audiences of like 25 to 50 people and, you know, performed in front of 83,000 people. At a WrestleMania, you know, besides his biggest audience. So for him, it didn't matter whether you had, you know, 25 people or 83,000 people in an audience. If, if, if Hurricane Helms was on it, he was going to give you 100 percent of his of his efforts. And uh, for Jakara's side, I really appreciate the fact that uh, one of his lines in this promo was like, you know, I might have worked a lot of places and some of them I regret, but I wanted to make sure I performed at Jakara specifically and got to got to do that. You know, that that's just kind of cool that Jakara you know, a lot of people feel like Chikara's had a lot of ups and downs. It's really been on a downturn as of, like, the last several seasons since the uh, the shutdown. Maybe not up to the par that it once was in a lot of people's eyes. I, I think that's kind of um, misstated, I'm going to be very honest. But um, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't quite see Chikara in the same light that they used to. But the fact that, you know, the Hurricane in 2019, you know, in his last match was still like, I've got to do Chikara. I'm going to come over here and, you know, for my potential last match, like have this match in this particular place, I think still speaks to um, what a company like Chikara has brought to the table historically and what they bring to the table currently. There's something different. 
There's something refreshing in this world of pro wrestling, and I will always love Chikara for doing that and for being that. So really appropriate, I think, to be, uh, if it is indeed his last match, the final match for Hurricane Helms. This was just a good match in and of itself, cool collection of characters, and just just, just a good send-off for the Green Masked Man. Good stuff. Yep, yep, very cool stuff here. Uh, that does wrap up Fright Night, but fear not, we do have Infinite Gauntlet also to talk about, and if you thought the first show was packed, this one, man, this one's got even more stuff going on with it, so uh, get your first match, which is another Young Lions Cup defense, still life with apricots and pears, taking on Thief Ant, and I'll just say again, still life has gotten so, so good this year, the way <laughs> I can't stress it up, how much I love all the leg psychology stuff, like, nobody does this. It's really obvious, or you feel like it should be, but who sets up for their finisher, like, the whole match? Like, you know, I, I feel like it's a total throwback thing, but it really ought <laughs> not to be, because I don't know how we got so far away from it. But, yeah, just, like, picking apart the leg, uh, getting the win here again over Thief Ant, and uh, what I thought was a different yet similarly uh, really good match. Uh, so, yeah, really, really good stuff from Still Life. Absolutely, and Thief Ant, I thought, also did a pretty good job here. Mm-hmm. You know uh, both wrestlers are good when you can make a, uh, a shin-breaker near-fall feel like genuine and authentic. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, still Life, very good. Um, excellent at what they do with the uh, leg work, as mentioned before, utilizing a lot of weird holds every now and again to get that uh, working stuff over. And uh, Thief Ant, also, like I said, kind of growing a lot. On these uh, two shows, I felt uh, doing a lot of good work in this match as well. Kind of going, uh, kind of staying at the same pace with a uh, uh, still life as as best he could, despite the uh, injury early on. Getting that leg worked over, uh, the fan staying strong in it as best they could. Uh, this was a good match. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, we watched this to a tag team match, another uh, really good one. I thought besides that one. Tag title match. I'm going to say, I thought just about every match we saw on either of these shows was quite good. Um, this one in particular, you got Travis Huckabee and Icarus teaming up to take on uh, Lucas Calhoun and Stray Cat. Uh, and again, just love that duo. Love New Fist. We're going to love all these guys. Uh, Calhoun and Cat actually getting the win here, which uh, was maybe a little bit unexpected. But uh, I would love to see Calhoun and Cat actually get to challenge for those uh, campiones. I think this gave them two points, so they're getting close. Would love to see it. Make it happen, Chikara. Indeed, this was a very solid match. Uh, once again, good work from uh, Stray Cat and Lucas Calhoun. Lucas just incredibly over. Uh, just a really charismatic dude. Uh, Stray Cat in particular working very well with Icarus in this match. I thought they had a lot of time together in this match, doing a lot of fun stuff. Uh Icarus getting his back tattoo scratched off as best uh, Stray Cat could. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Travis Huckabee also with a couple of kind of understated moments here. He's very good at, like, uh, getting involved with some of the weirder things in Jakara, despite his normal uh, straight-laced attitude. I do love me a lot of uh, Travis Huckabee. So a lot of good characters in this match. Another good tag uh, bout here. And, yeah, um, Stray Cat and Lucas Calhoun getting one step closer to potentially vying for those titles. So we'll see if they get there or not. Should be a good one if they do. Absolutely. Um, we get uh, follow-up on this. Mr. Assault Man taking on Der Wilderbeest in his first uh, singles match in Chikara. Uh, again, 
So pleased to see Jakob come back in this role. I think this is ideal for him. Uh, ringside doing manager stuff and really just being an absolute pleasure. Um, this uh, I really enjoyed this. There's a lot of strategy, a lot of smart wrestling on Missile Assault Man's part. I like how he uh, negated a lot of uh, Wildebeest's size by uh, doing some clever takedowns, keeping him off balance, keeping him off his feet a lot, especially in the early going. Uh, I gotta say, though, Beast is really strong, really powerful, and really impressive also. I thought he looked great here as well. So uh, this is a great addition to the Chikara roster. Mm-hmm. I think uh definitely made a stronger impression in this match than even the tag team match. Mm-hmm. I think he stood out a lot, you know, getting in here with Missile Soul Man. There's an early uh, part on in the match where Missile keeps trying to do running shoulder tackles and just absolutely keeps getting bodied by the Wilderbeast, just shrugging him off and knocking him down every time. It's just a really small thing, but a really great thing that kind of set up both who Missile Assault Man tries to be and who the Wilderbeast is in terms of his size and strength. So this was a good match. Uh, Wilderbeast actually picks up the victory, if I recall, just crushing yeah. uh, poor Missile Assault Man with a crossbody and pinning them one, two, three. Um, yeah. Another good match here. Good performance once again by the always reliable Missile Assault Man and a good singles debut for the Wilderbeast in Chikara. Absolutely so. Um, last match before the Infinite Gauntlet itself. Another tag team match. Got uh, Murloc and Cajun Crawdad taking on Fire Ant and Green Ant. And uh, I thought this was particularly fantastic, actually. Uh, I love Murloc in particular. He does amazing things that nobody else uh, seems to be able to do. I loved him just barreling through the Ansco marching attack. Uh, I watched him just continue to walk around the ring and fight people with Fire Ant hanging off his back. I saw him dive through the ropes, even though he's like a stocky, like, barrel of a man. Um, I love doing like a spike emerald flosion with Crawdad helping out. Um... Yeah, uh, so he was wonderful. Also, you have Green Ant, like, Matrix flying, kicking Cajun Crawdad out of thin air at one point. So much good stuff in here. Really, my only complaint I have is that Murloc got pinned, and I think uh, that, I don't know, like, he's so great. I rarely would like to see him pinned in any circumstances, but uh, he did catch quite a beating beforehand, so it kind of makes sense. But still, it's Murloc, so... That's really my only beef, though. This this one was fantastic. I thought it was just great. You know a match is, like, really, really good when Fire Ant, the obvious best worker in this match, might have had the least things to talk about. Yeah. And Fire Ant was, was tremendous in this match, but you had Cajun Crawdad doing a bunch of weird, wild things as usual, including at one point a Canadian destroyer or a Cajun destroyer uh, getting drop kicked out of the air by Green Ant on like a, like Cajun Crawdad was on the outside and ran up the ropes to do a dive, but uh, Green Ant was still there and like, you know, leapt off the ropes and drop kicked the flying Cajun Crawdad, which was a tremendous spot. And I would really genuinely enjoy just watching the two of them, uh, Crawdad and Green Ant, just have weird things happen in all of their matches like that, because I think the two of them are very um, – you can tell they're very hard workers. You can tell that they're very much into trying a lot of things out, and uh, the two of them came to a head in this match in particular. Um, and, of course, Murloc, the murder machine, just absolutely – 
um, the highlight of this match, and I genuinely thought that a uh, Spike Emerald Flosion was it. I thought that it was the end, and it was not. So alas, um, that's that's my personal beef with this match. That move ruled, and it did not actually get the victory. That's uh, it's the one the one issue I have with this match. But um, overall, this was a tr- a tremendous tag team bout. Uh, definitely uh, encourage everybody to go watch this one in particular. Um, and in the end, the colony does pick up the victory, but afterwards. I'm not happy about this. Uh, Crawdad and Murloc attack the colony, and eventually Crawdad, or Murloc, uh, forces the referee to count a pinfall by Crawdad on fire and technically picking up a non-sanctioned three count over Fire Ant, and the two of them celebrated this while the fans booed. So uh, this uh, this issue between the colony and the uh the Creatures of the Deep, not over by a long shot. And apparently uh, Crawdad and Fire Ant have some sort of feud going on, and we're probably going to see that come to a head sooner rather than later. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Yep, very good stuff there. Um, so yeah, really great one. We get to the Infinite Gauntlet itself, which is always a pleasure, and I feel like I might say this every time, but I feel like this may have been the best one that they've done. Um it's, they always top themselves. They always top themselves. <laughs> they always seem to, yeah. Um, they avoided uh, letting the ring be too cluttered up, which I think has happened in some past uh, editions. They had uh, a lot of kind of distinctive story stuff going on, a lot of unexpected stuff. The first two out are Boomer and Dangerhawk, who's making his return. Dangerhawk, a former winner, gets pinned before number three even comes out. So very surprising as far as that goes. Um, it really starts to pick up as we have number four is Dasher Hatfield himself. He's in the ring with Boomer Hatfield. And uh, really what happens here is uh, a lot of guys come out and a lot of guys just kind of stay at ringside because Boomer and Dasher are having this uh, really They're working intense. out some problems. Oh, they're, well, they're trying anyway. I don't think they really got too far, actually. But, uh, man, they just really... Had it out for each other. They were trying to hash out. Yeah, just like you said, they're trying to work out their family problems. They were tearing it up here. Like, there was just some phenomenal stuff in this stretch. Every time Boomer got a leg up on something, Dasher would smash him down. But Boomer kept just kicking out of stuff. He wouldn't go down. Um, eventually, Blank comes out at, like, number 11, so, like, seven people later. And he tries to rally everyone to, like, get in the ring and, and mess this up. But uh, it really doesn't work. Uh, the only thing it does is the ring at least starts to fill up again. But really, everyone who tries to mess with Boomer and Dasher gets uh, the, the crud beaten out of them. They get beaten up. They get thrown out for the most part. Um, we get uh, Molly McCoy coming out down the line, uh, who is a new member of the Hadfields family. Hadfields and McCoys, of course. Ha-ha. Um, and uh, I guess... It seems like she was trying to, like, kind of keep the peace here for a second. But then she seems very much aligned with Dasher, not really interested in helping Boomer at all. So I think um, going to have another aspect of that family thing going on. Boomer finally goes out. I want to pause for a breath here just to speak because I felt like this is definitely the first act of this match. So let's let's talk about it so far. What, what was your thought on all this stuff going down? I, I, I very much appreciate it. Uh, just the ferocity that uh, Dasher and uh, Boomer went at each other. Um, I appreciated the uh, smart tactics of some of the Rudos to come out here and not wrestle and get in between these two, um, particularly uh, 
uh, Cobalt popping out some popcorn and sitting in the audience and then eventually <laughs> attracting Frantic over to him. No, 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 don't fight. Come eat some popcorn with me over here. Um, I thought that was good. I especially loved, of all of these things happening, uh, Blank coming in and trying to mastermind a plot to take them all out, only to watch all of his friends get defeated while he has this look of absolute concern on his face uh, before eventually getting eliminated himself. I thought that was uh, a, a very fun little segue here. Um, I enjoyed Volgar being a face, a technico, by technicality. Um, it was great. I think uh, Scott Holiday was on commentary. He talked about uh, Volgar came to the save, which is not a sentence I ever expected to say. And then like five minutes later saying Volgar being cheered on by the fans, which is another sentence I didn't think I'd ever say. So uh, there's just a lot of weird things happening, at least in the early part of this match. Uh, which would really set the tone for the entirety of the match when all is said and done. Um, uh, not not to give too many spoilers away in case you haven't watched this match, but um, well, this is a weird well, one. So. This is a very, very uh, bizarre, not in a bad way at all, let me, let me also clarify. This is not a bad match, this is not a confusing match, it's just a weird match, and I think uh, Takara nailed it on what it wanted to do in particular. So this was kind of a weird start, a very good start, though. I really appreciated, uh, specifically, as I said, uh, Dasher and Boomer just really tearing into each other in the early parts here, and Molly McCoy uh, not really doing anything to help um, this situation at all. So so early on, I was really uh, digging this uh, this match. Good, just just good start. Good strong start, I thought. Absolutely so. Uh, the match does continue. We get some more interesting entrance. Uh, Workaround is out there and apparently is the pick of Scott Holiday. And I don't know what statistics, what research he's basing this all on, but he maybe needs to to look at his calculations again. If, it was like the, <laughs> one of the first things he said about this match was like, yeah. I crunched all the numbers, I did all the homework you told me to do, and in the end, I think my um, my pick is Worker Ant. And it was like. What? I, I I genuinely, like, he said worker ant, and I was like, the first worker ant? I don't understand. Is that a joke? I was like, oh, wait, that's right. Worker ant is back. The second worker ant, blue ant. Well, he's sort God. of back. He's semi-back. He's a little bit back. Um, but, yeah, that also led to probably my, the only time I really liked Scott Holiday that much. I like him every once in a while, and when worker ant got out, he was like, oh, my research is wasted. I'm like... Okay, that was funny. All right, you got me there. Do got to say, um, Scott Holiday, yeah, actually doing a pretty solid job of commentary, but Sidney Bacabella also sitting in for this match. That man is just a joy. Uh, I'm sorry, he's a bad man, but he's a great commentator, and I, I'm so pleased whenever he's doing work uh, in the commentary booth. I, I will never forgive him for playing Ashley Remington's theme music <laughs> during his reveal, but... Uh, that blow can be softened by him continuing to be on commentary and just be great at some point. Uh, at several points, I think he just continuously calls Scott Holiday by a different first name, like every time. At one point, saying his name was Nick, and then immediately saying, "Oh, I forgot, you're Sean." Scott Holiday being like, "No, I'm not." It was just <laughs> these two have great chemistry together. I don't like. I mean, Sidney Bachfella has great chemistry with basically everybody. Yeah, he calls great chemistry with a cactus. In fairness, so basically. But uh, him and Scott Holiday were very fun on commentary here. Um, I, th- I think this also happens in the second part. Eventually, uh, Sidney Bacabella's pick, Rick Rowland, comes out. Uh, Scott Holiday points out that uh, uh, Sidney's pick um, actually eliminated Scott's pick in an earlier um, earlier uh, Infinite Gauntlet. And 
Um, Sydney was just like, yeah, because my pick is better. Duh. (laughs) They're so good. This was such a good, this was a good match for the good commentary team. And uh, as you've heard probably on here several times, like that can help elevate an already good match into great territory. And I think that's definitely what uh, these two in particular did on this night. Good stuff. Yep, for sure. Uh, we got other fun stuff happening. Molly McCoy choking out Volgar, putting him in a sleeper for like 10 minutes straight, it seemed. And then Volgar got out, and then she put it back on, which I marked out for. Uh, which which was great. And also at one point, uh, Sydney Vacabella said Volgar had been in a sleeper hold for three weeks. So, <laughs> Which was an accurate assessment, I thought. Um, <laughs> right around this time, though, is when it started to get a little bit Interesting, a little bit unexpected. Uh, all through this match, kind of peppered in. We've seen some of these uh, these faceless jobbers enter the match. The the guys who are named in funny ways after wrestling moves, and they really just are there to get squashed. And Scott Holiday's like, "Why are these guys in the match?" And Bacchabell's like, "Ah, oh, well, it's cheap to just fill out the numbers with these, you know, guys. You barely have to pay them." So, so that um, turned on its head a little bit as the jobbers started sort of teaming up together and ganging up on people and uh, eliminating first Worker Ant and then uh, Officer Barksdale and then kind of more and more as the match went on. So something a little bit unexpected, um, but very effective to see these uh, faceless, nameless guys dogpiling uh, bigger guys, bigger names, and just uh, taking them out and showing some unexpected skills. So getting some idea that something different was going on here. Meanwhile, got uh, John Francis taking out Rick Rowland, uh, his former henchman. So a bit of a conflict there. Um, one uh, or Giant also taking Volgar out, having a really great showing, throwing out Dasher Hadfield to what was probably the biggest pop of the whole night, I gotta say. And, and, and let me say in particular, we remember that um, the last year, I think the previous year, uh, Juan Francisco had eliminated... Uh, Dasher uh, by cheating, and eventually Dasher helped eliminate uh, Juan Francisco to was a great pop in helping Dangerhawk win that match. Um, this year, uh, with the roles reversed, Juan Francisco eliminates Dasher Hatfield to what must have been the biggest pop of the entire match. Mm-hmm. Um, just once again, I don't think they're necessarily making it super obvious where we're going with this right now, um, but they're definitely. There are definitely seeds being planted. There's definitely bread. Cr- there's definitely a breadcrumb cr- trail um, that they're uh, hinting at with those two in particular. And I like the the fact that it wasn't super addressed during the match. It was almost as if uh, it's very secondary. But uh, once that happened in particular, it was immediately like light switch flick on. Like, okay, all right, I I, I see. I I think I see at least what we're trying to do here. And it was very, it was a very exciting moment for me in particular. So very much liking how they're handling, handled those two in this match and how they're handling them uh, as we go forward, hopefully. So we'll see what comes of those two. Your theory, definitely uh, holding some water here, maybe fleshing itself out a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, More jobbers keep coming out, keep joining. And uh, at some point they start working together to kind of start taking apart the top rope. And as the match goes on that, that rope, all but really falls off, becomes so loose that uh, people can be thrown out very easily, to which, and this this kind of reversed my course on Scott Holiday. he's sitting there saying, do you think that that was their strategy? And I'm like, no, they did it by accident, Scott. What, what are you saying? Like, he kept saying it, 
It really irritated me. But, um, but yeah, that was definitely their game plan. Uh, we get Oleg in the match, which I was very pleased by. We've not seen Oleg all year, I think, and I love Oleg. So hope this is a sign of him uh, coming back to be around a little more regularly. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's not around for too long because the Jobbers, uh, they take him out. They take Hermit Crab out. Like, as soon as he walks in the ring, basically, they just murder the absolute piss out of Juan. Uh, he escapes being pinned, only to be thrown out by the Whisper, who's been, uh, well, shall we say, conveniently ignored by all of these Jobbers. So that is maybe something to look at. Uh, Whisper, we know, a manipulative-type person. Mm-hmm. Um, you get Razorock in the match. He immediately does awesome things, but uh, also is eliminated before too long. You get Duke, the dumpster drowsy as the weird, like, WWF throwback entry of the match. And he is, like, weirdly successful, running around just hitting people with trash cans and, like, taking out a bunch of people. He, uh, he looked very oddly good in this match. Like, I, better I, I, than he did originally, maybe? So, I don't know. Yeah. Very weird, strange. But good for him. Um, I get down to the final bunch. Uh, we have uh, Hollow Wicked coming out at 30. He held the ice cream coming out at 31. Solo Darling, 32. Uh, everybody's flying out real fast now. The ropes are low. Really easy to get eliminated. Um, the last jobber guy left in the match, a big guy, picks up the Whisper and Solo Darling together. So I guess uh, I did pay some attention to the Whisper. I, I, I want to make a quick yeah. uh, quick mention sure. of this. Uh, Inzagari Evan, I believe his name was. Um he kind of seemed like the uh, at least once he got in and started doing some things, he almost seemed like the ace of the uh, the jobber group. And, like showed up, started doing a whole bunch of things. I think he eliminated Rick Rowland uh, with an Inzagiri followed by like a a standing like corkscrew Sinton and then pinned him to uh, like eliminate him if I recall correctly. Mm. Um, and like once things started getting rolling, um, while there were a bunch of jobbers and they all had their specific roles. Inzagari Evan, this the last uh, quote unquote jobber guy in this match, really seemed kind of like their chosen ace, kind of their uh, not necessarily their leader, but maybe their most talented uh, individual performer, and did uh, particularly well in this match. Not just because he was working with everybody else, but also because he in particular seemed to be about a step or two above everybody else within his little uh, group, athletically and wrestling wise. So. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more to him uh, than just this match. We'll have to see what uh, what comes of this in particular. Uh, yeah, for sure. Good shout out. Definitely noticed him uh, sticking out from the pack. Case in point, yeah, at the end, picking up Whisper and Solo Darling together, which is impressive in and of itself. Uh, Hollowicket kind of smashing into them, but there's really no ropes to stop them, so all of them tumble out just as... Number 33 enters, and I gotta say, I always wondered about this kind of finish, and I'm sort of glad that it's actually happened now. Number 33, Ophidian, walks into the ring, wins, without doing a darn thing, and that, that that's just how it goes, it seems, or perhaps there's more to it. But, any way you look at it, Ophidian, the winner of the Infinite Gauntlet, and I'll just say again, probably the best one they've done so far, Just just a really... Really great Rumble-style match. A lot of great stuff going on in this one. I was very pleased by how it went down. Same here. Honestly, a, a, a match of the year contender, I'd say, right now, yeah, as far I, as like excitement and entertainment and storytelling goes. Um, 
like I said, this was a very weird Infinite Gauntlet, a very weird Rumble style match, but not in a not at all in a bad way. It's very different. It was very unique. It had a lot of different story elements going on, as you kind of said. It was kind of like as if the match itself was broken up into like acts. You know, this was the first act that focused on this part of everything. Then you had the second act. Then you had the finale. Um, you had the climax, really, which was all four of those dudes. All four of those people falling out of the turnbuckle or falling out of the ring before the uh, finale of Ophidian coming out and winning the match by doing literally nothing. Um, this was great. This was wholly unique. Uh, doing just a lot of things that I wasn't expecting. Um, the work of the uh, Jobber group kind of coming together and uh, fending everybody off and eliminating them and having a plan of sorts was uh, definitely cool. Uh, Boomer and Dasher Hatfield. Um just like I said, going to town on one another. I really don't want to undersell just how vicious uh, the stuff they were doing to one another, especially uh, Dasher to his uh, his son was just, just brutalizing him at several points. Uh, that in particular was, you know, played off really well. Just just overall a fantastically put together match that really has to be seen to be believed. Uh, this Infinite Gauntlet maybe the best of all the bunch, and definitely, I think, stands on its own as just an absolutely spectacular match. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, after the match, speaking of that exact pairing, Boomer Hatfield storms out after the match. He demands that Dasher return to the ring, which he does. Dasher calls him a little disappointment. He talks about wasting so many years chasing success for the sake of the people, for the fans, and it was nothing but a failure. He tells Boomer he has to learn how to fight for himself or he'll just stay a disappointment. Dasher says he doesn't even deserve to carry his bags or even wear his mask. Boomer says he's not his dad anymore, and they fight. Bacabella comes out. The roster has to come out and separate them. Sydney Bacabella makes a mask versus mask match to happen in Chicago at a show that I'm going to be at, and I'm going to friggin' lose my mind. Because this is going to be so amazing. Um, Dasher chokes out Boomer Hatfield until uh, the baby faces, the technicals, peel him away. So, whew, yeah, this just, I loved everything they did in this match. Every time Boomer seemed like he was going to get the advantage, I was like on the edge of my seat. Seeing this live is just, it's going to explode my mind. My mind mm-hmm. will explode, and there will be just an exploded mind all over Riverside. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Indeed, I, I, I particularly love the way Bacabella ends up announcing this match. You know, he sees the two of them fighting. He says, you know, I don't like uh, family-on-family violence. Fritz von Erich didn't like it, and I don't like it either. We got a big pop. But um, as he's talking there, he says, you know, in two weeks at Chicago, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it Dasher Hatfield versus Boomer Hatfield. And just when you kind of think, okay, that's going to be it, he turns around. The first word out of his mouth following that is the word mask and you you instantly hear and see and feel the entire room just like start lighting up the moment he says it because you know the next things following that are going to be versus mask and like the moment that finishes everybody is just like losing it in the ring they're losing it at ringside as the fans like it just kind of goes off it is it is just this great like moment it is this great happening you know this great match setup that's sure to be just like an electric bout between these two um yeah that's that's gonna be a great one an excellent way to come back to chicago 
I think for Chikara, uh, Boomer versus Dasher, this rivalry, this issue between father and son coming to a head in Chicago with masks on the line, it is going to be great. Mm. It really, really is. Um, that covers everything on this show. Um, but uh, we, we were talking about this a little before we started recording. There's also something going on that uh, has been a little bit under the radar. It's now kind of breaking out a little bit more. I've really just been learning about this myself as a Jakara fan. Something known as the Crucible. The fire reveals what the flesh conceals, they say. This is uh, some stuff that's going down uh, on YouTube and some other places. How much of this stuff uh, do you know about? How much of it do you want me to uh, potentially spoil for you here, my friend? I, I don't know a whole lot about it. And I'm going to actually start uh, probably after we go off the air, probably going to be uh, checking this out uh, very extensively for myself. But um, Do you want me to save you from spoilers is what I'm really asking. Um, if, if you can give me sort of a general gist without really spoiling too much, um, that would be great because um, – I, I know a few things, but I don't know a whole lot because of how intriguing this is and how much I think this ties into a lot of what happened in the Infinite Gauntlet. I kind of want to see how it all goes down for myself. But if you can give us, give me and the listeners maybe a general idea of what is actually happening with uh, the Crucible, the Heralds and Harbingers uh, series, uh, that would be uh, very appreciated, I think. All right, all right, fair enough. I, uh, I haven't had a chance to watch everything yet, but I've watched uh... – Quite a few things, I would say. Um, it's uh, It started, yeah, with this YouTube channel, uh, which seems to show some security footage from the middle of the night in a blacked-out wrestle factory um, where uh, there's no ropes and it's just uh, a bear ring and uh, guys kind of surrounding it in the dark. The only light is on the ring itself. Guys coming in having, uh, like, a two-minute time limit match where basically it seems like it's a it's a fight club. It's basically a fight club where uh, guys are coming in and just trying to get a, a knockout or a tap out as quickly and as viciously as they possibly can. And uh, some of these guys have uh, Chikara jobber masks on, and some of them uh, don't. And uh, we see at one point somebody wins a match, and they uh, get to take their Chikara mask off, and they give it to a uh, shadowy figure who seems to be running everything. That same guy goes on and uh, loses a match, and uh, somebody puts a mask back on him, much to his uh, chagrin. Um, so, yeah, I got some very mysterious stuff going on. I really do recommend checking out some of these shows. Uh, really interesting visual aesthetic. Uh, all the videos also named after old Chikara shows, and I mean, like, really old ones, like the first few shows. So, very mysterious. What's going on? Who are these guys? Uh, what are they all about? Who's running this channel? Who's sharing this footage all around? The, who knows that this is happening at the Wrestle Factory in the middle of the night? <clears throat> and then we get the Heralds and Harbinger series, which is more of a, a proper, like, uh, sort of Ashes of Chikara, sort of like Lucha Underground vignette backstage scenes of uh, stuff happening in a very cinematic way. And I won't say too much, except there's uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on. There's a very familiar... A uh, bunch of faces behind this, and uh, one of them who's right in the midst of it, um, perhaps uh, willingly, perhaps not, is none other than uh, your friend Preston Blathers, now going by uh, his his legal name, which, uh, what did you say, it was John Marshall, something like that? J- Josh Wells, I Josh believe. Josh Wells, I don't know where you got John Marshall, but Josh Wells, yeah, so, so yeah, 
have not seen this man uh, since he kind of stepped down from ring announcing to try to become a wrestler, and uh, maybe is maybe is achieving that, but maybe not the way that we all expected. So I won't say any more. I got some more to watch myself, but I just got to say, from seeing the people who are involved in this, who are behind it, I am incredibly excited. Um, the way the most recent video ended really, really, really got me hyped. So if this is the next big kind of story of Chikara, I think it's off to a wonderful start. So I won't say any more. I won't give any more details. There's a lot of really interesting stuff to find out, though. So check it out if you're a fan of this kind of stuff. Now, one one last detail that I want to share before I get into my thoughts is apparently, I saw this on Twitter, um, Mike Quackenbush announced something I think was like everybody's going to have to clear out their locker in the Wrestle Factory. Like some, something happened. I don't know. I haven't seen any other videos myself. <laughs> it, it will become but, uh, quite clear, but yes, changing all the locks, changing uh, all the, the, the security codes or what have you, and uh, really just tightening the circle, bringing in a certain number of trusted people to uh, have a meeting about this. So, uh, so yeah, I guess... Um, some uh, that, some big uh, things happening. Some <laughs> yeah, very that big tells you that uh, the 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 Chikara proper people have been turned on to something that is happening, and they're going to do something about it. So I'm excited. Um, just uh, whatever you do, quack. Don't call your group uh, the Furies or anything. You know, you guys got to get it together this time for sure. Yes, if if you're going to do this, don't uh. Just sort of bring in a random associate of, of, of people who accomplish nothing and expect us to uh, support them because we saw how that happened last time and it did not work out. So let, let's let, let's try to aim a little bit higher this go round. Yes, please, please. Uh, but yeah, I am loving it. It's going to be some really interesting stuff. So uh, check that out, both you and all of our listeners out there, and I will do so as well. It's going to be a lot of really fun stuff going on. Indeed. Looking forward to seeing what this is all about, because uh, I, I said this before, but it feels like the is kind of on an upswing right now, kind of getting back into their, their old habits, their old ways, um, while combining a lot of their new talents and really good uh, wrestlers they've got in the Wrestle Factory, in the locker rooms right now. So this is exciting times to be a Chikara fan, and I, for one, cannot wait to see how all this plays out. Mm, absolutely. All right, I think that covers all of our uh, coverage for tonight. Anything else you want to talk about before we call it here? I, I, I feel like, um, I don't know about you, but I feel like we kind of need to address a bit of the LOP uh, elephant in the room, um, just because I don't know how many people have heard about this, but we're having some, basically LOP, we're trying to find ourselves, um, figure out what we're actually going to be doing um, from here on out for some of our podcasts. Um, we're trying to find maybe a new home, trying to figure out what we want to do uh, moving forward as far as recording and where our recordings go up at. Um, we are doing our best to try to figure out the best way for you, our listeners, to be able to get our content and um, be able to continue listening to us so that we can continue to do these shows and provide you with the uh, commentary and the entertainment and fun and news that hopefully you uh, you folks at home enjoy from us here on LOP Radio. Um, we've, we've got a couple of things in the pipeline that we're trying to figure out. Um, I don't want to reel too much in case uh, other people want to do that, but um, there might be some shuffling going on, both in terms of uh, people still with LOP Radio and where LOP Radio ends up uh, going from here. But um, 
trying to figure everything out. We are hopefully going to be able to come to a uh, good resolution that works not only for us as the content creators, but for you as our content um, listeners. Uh, we're just we're just trying to get everything uh, figured out. So hopefully, no fear. We're still going to be doing our uh, thing as best we can. But um, I think it was uh, at least worth it to let you guys know, to let everybody know that yeah, we are. We're trying to figure some things out here on LLP Radio, but we want to do our best to uh, continue to provide to everybody the uh, shows that we have been doing for the past uh, several years. So uh, just just, just uh, be patient with us as we try to figure this out for ourselves, and hopefully when all things uh, come to um, whatever decision ends up being made, that uh, we will continue to be here providing our fun stuff for you, our listeners and audience. Absolutely so. Well said. Uh, I've mentioned a little bit on... Um on All About All Elite, uh, good to mention here as well. Yeah, whatever it is, we will uh, bring it to you in any way we can. And, um, huh, yeah, it's going to be good stuff. I don't know what it will be exactly, but uh, I'm not worrying about it. should be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. Uh, if you want to shout us out, we're on Twitter. I'm Spectral Gent. He is at Big Def Energy. That's B-I-G-D-E-F Energy. Give us a shout. Give us a follow. Uh, check out... All the other programs on, for the moment, LP Radio and whatever we are in the future, probably still LP Radio in whatever form we are. I'm sure there'll be a lot of good stuff on there as well. Uh, also, LLPforums.com and LordsandPay.net for a lot of great written material. That's all we got for now. Thanks, everyone, very much for listening. We'll be back soon with lots more wrestling, which may be falling under your radar. Until then, we have been the Global Revolution. See ya.